Episode 74 of No Guitar Is Safe, featuring the mind-meltingly awesome Mimi Fox, is brought to you by Guitar Player Magazine and GuitarPlayer.com. Guitar Player, play better, sound better. So we're up at Mimi Fox's house, not far from the water, up in the North Bay, just north of San Francisco, and the mics have just been turned on, and she's showing me this little blues called Getaway Blues, and she's playing licks like this one. really just a sound check right here well i think we'll actually play the blues at the very end of this episode you're going to hear it but wow yeah mimi fox is a total mind melter she has dedicated her life to bringing music out of a fretboard in six strings right there you're hearing her taylor steel string which she'll play definitely throughout a lot of this episode but she also picks up her mimi fox signature model heritage hollow body awesome machine let's check out mimi playing one of my favorite standards ladybird Here's the intro. I think that's from her standards album. But you know what? Just before we get this episode started, I'm feeling a little reflective tonight. So Mimi, give me some reflective music. This is her title track to the album that she did on Steve Vai's label, one of her albums, on the Favored Nations label called Perpetually Hip. It's kind of somber because, you know, I'm just thinking out loud here. Today, as some of you might have seen on Facebook as I posted, I've declared this Michael Melinda Day because Mike Melinda, my editor-in-chief at Guitar Player, has, after 21 years at the helm, today is his last day as editor-in-chief of Guitar Player magazine. And it's kind of emotional for all of us because we love him so much and he's already going on to to killer new ventures such as working for uh, MI5 Records. He's doing A&R for rock and also A&R for guitar internationally, like domestic and international, I believe. So exciting for the guitar world to have Mike in that capacity. But I'm just really reflecting on all the years I've worked for him because he is not just an incredible editor and writer and ambassador for the guitar and creator of great guitar content and guitar events, but he's also just a great friend, you know? So it's just one of those turning points where you're just like, wow, what a big change in the fabric of the guitar community. I mean, you know how these things go. The uh, company was acquired by a British media company called Future, and sometimes changes happen, you know? And that's what's going down. But, I mean, this is a tremendous world record 21 years at the helm of Guitar Player Magazine. It's longer than any other editor. And it's just a, a spectacular run. And please, everybody, just massive props to Michael Melinda, my friend, and a guy who helped me create this podcast. I mean, he's helped me so many ways I can't even 
begin to list them all. Anyway, my name is Jude Gold. Thanks for listening to No Guitar Is Safe. Say hi on the No Guitar Is Safe Facebook page or say hi to me on Twitter at Jude underscore gold. And of course, we love your reviews on iTunes. If you like it, please tell us what you like about it. Thanks to Zoom for the recorders, and uh, I'll be playing this Fender Telecaster through a Boss Katana 50 amp that I like to travel around with. Mimi, meanwhile, is playing her acoustic steel string Taylor through a Mesa Boogie Rosette acoustic guitar amplifier. Love those things. But for her electric, I think she plugs into a little Fender Deluxe. I'm ready. Let's go. Let's fire up the chopper, head up to the North Bay, and plug in with Mimi Fox. You know, I've always been... It's so funny, Jude, because I never really intended to become a jazz guitar player and then I did somewhere along the line what happened is I was playing in a funk band when I was about 17 and you know I started playing when I was 10 drums when I was nine guitar when I was 10 and so you know a jazz guitar seemed like another world to me but I knew that there was more than playing over two chord funk vamps and I knew that there was more out there and so when I finally um and when I finally got into jazz I learned a whole bunch of you know really cool things and I love the music obviously but to me um, you know, you really have, you, you should take advantage of all the things, I think partly from playing solo, partly from playing with a lot of great vocalists over the years, but I, I have learned that, uh, you know, the guitar is really an orchestra, and so I try to make use of all the different elements that, that you can do. I mean, it's something Joe Pass told me when I came to him and, and I wanted to work on my solo playing, you know, many years ago, he, he said, well, why don't you listen to string quartets? That'll give you all the information that you need for a solo guitar. And I thought, okay, that's pretty cool. That's so, awesome. yeah. So anyway, so yeah, I, I tried to make use of everything. Not just, you know, when I, and I think having studied classical guitar too, I'm very grateful that I had a few years of that years ago because... That made me really work on my tone and the just the dynamics and and phrasing. You know, it's it's all part of it. But yeah, I know a lot. Well, a lot of I think, you know, honestly, from all my years of touring and playing, I have found a more rock and blues players much more open-minded. I hate to say this than a lot of my jazz friends, and it's ironic because jazz really encompasses so many things. I mean, what is jazz? Yeah. I mean, jazz is is rooted in the blues. And in early swing and Dixieland styles, but then you know it went through so many transformations and continues to with Latin jazz and world music and everything and, and funk and fusion and modern jazz and post bop and and it's all the under the big umbrella that we yeah. call jazz, right? And yet some players remained sort of you know well. Uh, anyway, I have just learned so much over the years. You know, I think from actually from the time that uh, that I met Steve Vai and signed with Favored Nations, which was back in I think two thousand two, two thousand three, something like mm-hmm. that. Um, and then through Steve, I met Paul Gilbert and Andy Timmons and so many great players. And they just seem to have a hunger for music and for learning that is really uh, you know it's just awesome. And so. Yeah. I um, anyway, there's very long response to what you were saying, but uh, you know, I just think, to me, um, you know, great music is great music, and that's yeah. just that's the end of the story, right? But yeah, it's interesting what you say. I mean, it's like 
all these supposed jazz snobs that maybe you're referring to that you've encountered, they all would embrace Miles Davis to the nth degree. Right. But yet he would totally embrace rock players and exactly. all, anything. anything well, goes. you know, I think that anytime, um, uh, uh, you know, musicians become sort of set in their ways, there's a part of them that dies. That's just how I feel. You know, I Good try point. to always stay like a human sponge because, uh, you know, I had a lot of, I mean, I had never really listened to rock. I'm not talking about the Beatles and stuff, but right. when I signed with Favorite Nation, Steve sent me all these recordings and, and a lot of his yeah. stuff that I had never heard. And I was like, oh, you know, I'd heard about Steve because of Frank Zapp and different things, but I, you know, I was very dimly aware of it. For me, it was basically, you know, it was the Beatles and then, and then Stevie Wonder, then Joni Mitchell and then jazz. And so I missed yeah. a whole bunch of stuff. Um, but uh, when I've hung out, like when Paul and Paul Gilbert invited me to two years, to the, his great guitar escape as a when a guest artist i was just blown away by the level of, of musicianship and a lot of jazz players have a lot of um sort of preconceived mm. ideas about what where rock players are coming from but like in any genre there are posers in all kinds of music and <laughs> there are jazz players that really turn me off because they're not anchored in the blues and to yeah. me you know the common mother between jazz and rock obviously is the blues and if you're if you if the blues is not part of what you're playing and it's not part of your vocabulary to me it just doesn't sound like jazz it doesn't mean i can't be maybe interested in some of the cool things that somebody yeah. is doing but if they deliberately make a conscious effort or they just don't feel it to not play the blues it it just it don't feel like jazz to me that's all i can say so anyway i there's so much great music out there and i, I try to always stay like a sponge very inspiring no matter what genre you play i love what you're saying now you had mentioned the name Joe Pass before. Now, Bob Dylan told me never to drop names. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. That was a joke. <laughs> I'm in trouble then because I guess I do it a lot inadvertently, but there's so many musicians that I admire. Now, tell, so me, tell, tell us about Joe Pass and your encounter. How did you end up with well, this Well, Joe guy? was playing in San Francisco at the... Um, what, which theater was it? I think it was the Palace of the Legion of... No, that wasn't there. It was at uh, the Herbst Theater. And he was playing with Joe Williams, the great jazz vocalist, and they were doing a show... And after the show, um, you know, I had really wanted to work on my, you know, solo playing. And I had been doing it because I had gigs where I was really required to do a lot of solo guitar. I was also working with a lot of great singers at the time. And so I really, you know, just in duo. So I, I needed those kind of chops working with the vocalists and touring and doing the stuff I was doing. So I really had to get it together. And so I went to, you know, I listened a lot to Joe's recordings. And I learned a lot from them. But I thought this would be really great if I could do it. So after the show, um, I went backstage and I was with a friend and I just, I was very shy at the time. And I thought I was about 30 and I thought, man, I, I just I'm not going to be able to go up and do this. And she just said, Mimi, it's now or never. Get your ass up there. You go and you do this, girl. And so I went up and I... I introduced myself. So, and wait, I, how did this work? You just knocked on the door? No, no, no. He was back. He was backstage, like talking to people, signing CDs, and hanging out and oh, stuff. Yeah. And so I just said, "Hi, Joe. My name's Mimi Fox. Blah blah blah. You know, I've studied some with Bruce Foreman and blah blah blah. And I wondered if I'd get a well. If you're studying with Bruce, what do you need me for? Oh, you know. <laughs> he was very sort of off-putting at first. And and I just said, well, I said I really want to work on my solo guitar stuff. And um, you know, I've transcribed a lot of your solos, note for note. Do you have any time tomorrow? Would you, would it? And he said, yeah. He said, all right. So he's very grouchy and very gruff. And he said, you know, I'm staying at the Inn of the Opera. You know, come by, be there at ten o'clock. And he was doing a few nights in a row. Yeah, he was doing a few nights. He was in town for a while. So, 
So I went there the next morning. I got there 10 o'clock sharp. I had a really nice blouse on and I started sweating. I'm not a person that sweats. So I started sweating like a pig immediately. I was just <laughs> like dripping sweat. And, I, and, he, and he comes to the door. He's got his robe on and slippers. He's smoking a cigar so I can barely breathe. He, he, he goes, come on in, Mimi. And he says very, you know, very loose and relaxed. And he says, sit down. I said, okay. And then he goes, play something. And I was like, oh, shit. Because all I kept thinking was, can we at least play a blues? Can we do something first where I can warm up and, and before I go? He said, play something. So I played some arrangement I have, something. Uh, I don't remember what I played. Uh, it, it was it was all a blur. It was all right. a blur. But it was something that I had worked out, a solo guitar arrangement of. And then he barked at me. He said, play something else. Uh, and so I did. And I, and, it, and I played like six or seven numbers, just one after the other. And it was all a blur. I felt like I was, you know, I didn't, I was continued to sweat. I was so nervous. Uh, and so finally, thank God, because I was between my sweating and the, my, the, the smoke inhalation from this cigar, <laughs> I felt like I was dying, Jude. I honestly oh, did. Yeah. I felt like, oh my God, I'm dying. I'm just oh. dying. But what a place to go here. I, I, I interviewed Slash before he quit smoking in a room about this, smaller than this, at the Gibson showroom. So you know LA. what I'm talking about. He, I think he smoked at least an entire pack of cigarettes. Well, God but cigars. He quit. Is gotta give him credit. <laughs> yeah, right, right, exactly. So anyway, finally, Joe. He, I finished my sixth or seventh number. He finally puts out the cigar in the ashtray, and he goes, he goes, thank fucking God. He goes, man, you wouldn't be, believe the schmucks that come see me and they can't play. And uh, he said they can't play their way through a twelve bar blues. And then um, and he goes. Well, why I don't know why I haven't heard of you before. What are you doing out in San Francisco with all these hippies? How come you haven't moved to New York? I said, well, I'm from New York. He said, yeah, well, you should go back there. He said, you play really well. Now, what do you want to talk about? And I said, well, I think I, one of the things I played was Night and Day. And it was my own arrangement sort of based on his, but then I went different places. And he said, oh, he said, you missed the E flat on the descending bass line. So he didn't miss anything. And I was like, oh, my God. And I did miss it. You know, my finger just slipped off or something. He said, you know, you, you know, you got to you got to play every part when you're doing something. And anyway, but then he said, you know, he said a lot of amazing things to me. He said, you have a lot of fire in the belly. He said, don't ever lose that. He said, whatever anybody tells you, they're schmucks. Don't listen to them. He said, you're a great musician. And, you know, coming from Joe Pass, you hear something like that and you feel like you're dreaming. It's like, yeah. okay, pinch me or wait. Will someone wake me up? Um, I must be dreaming. That's awesome. It's it was funny. awesome. And then One he said heroes. to me, he said, yeah. And then he said to me, he said, you know, Mimi, we were talking, and uh, you know, he's showing me a bunch of stuff. And then he goes, "You know, I think you're practicing too much." And I said, "Well, why do you say that?" He said, "Well, he said, how old are you?" I said, "I just turned 30." And he goes, "Well, he said, because you're 30 and you're burnt out already." And he said, "You shouldn't be." So why don't you practice less? And he said, "I'll tell you what. If you want to work on your solo guitar playing, that's when he said, you know, listen to string quartets because you'll hear everything you you can need." But basically, he said, you know, the two low, the bass strings are like the cello, the middle strings like the viola, and then the top strings like the violin. And he said, you'll hear everything that you could, you could need is right there. And so I thought, okay, cool. And that was a funny story about that. And then, you know, another thing that he said to me, which I think was was really funny at one point. So I had, I had his version of Night and Day that I transcribed everything. And I brought it and I had a question and I opened up the music that I had painstakingly written out. And he goes, well, what is that? And I said, well, this is something you played and I had a question about it. And he goes, well, I can't read that. And, and he said, just play it for me. So I, you know, I played it for him. And I said, well, what were you thinking here? And he goes, 
He goes, uh, well, I don't know. And then he said something really funny. He goes, well, he said, I'll tell you, Mimi, when, I, when I'm moving up the neck, I use my pinky. And when I'm moving down the neck, I use my index finger. For the leading note? Or- yeah, exactly. Well, basically, he was just saying, you know, this is how I play the guitar. <laughs> right. And I thought, oh, okay. this is the holy grail, right? But what was really funny is, is a few weeks later, I was at a gig in San Francisco with a bass player friend of mine. Mm-hmm. And he said to me, um, after the gig, he said, Mimi, you're really sounding great. What are you doing? And I said, well, you know, John, um, I'm just not practicing. He said, "Oh, you're not practicing. Ha ha, that's funny." And you know, we, so that was a, that became a joke from us for years. Yeah. It's like, "Well, what are you doing? I'm not practicing," uh, because and he yeah. he thought I was kidding. I've but been I said, not no. shedding really hard. Yeah, I said, "No, I'm I'm just not practicing." And so <laughs> that was kind of that was pretty trippy. But anyway, so it was an amazing experience for me. And then I bought him a box of cigars, and I still have the box in my other room where I keep some strings and various things in and stuff so it was yeah so and then every time he was in town he'd get me free tickets wherever it was yoshi's or wherever he was you know but i think the main thing that i got was that like you know most musicians jude you know i think we become musicians because we're sensitive people and the bad then that's the you know sort of the positive but the the hard part of being really sensitive is you know there's a tendency to sort of doubt yourself and no matter how much you're playing and what you're doing you never feel like you're good enough you always feel like oh i should have shed that more i should have done this more and so to have someone like joe have his respect and to have him say the things that he said to me really it gave me this incredible boost of confidence so even when i would have gigs where i felt like man i just i'm not having a great night i wish i wish these folks weren't hearing me tonight but you know i can't you know maybe it was the last night of a six-week tour and i was completely toasted and you know so even you know it just reminded me that if 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 i could get that kind of respect from joe and i've had it over the years from some other players that i've really admired when that happens to you, you begin to stop doubting yourself, and you think maybe, maybe they're right, and maybe the voices, crazy voices in my head, are just not right. And so it's a you know a really amazing experience. So. Wow, that's a great moment in your life to know that great leg- legend when he was around. What, what was? Can you show us just like maybe night and day or something from Joe Pass that you've transcribed? That just something. Yeah, let me. What's see. a great Joe Pass thing? Well, one of the things that Joe Pass does a lot. I um, mean, they're different phrases, but. Is I'm improvising. That's mine. I took it up an octave. So it's a sort of a mixture. It's a blending of the two parts. It's definitely mine. Listen to that chord. This is weird. on the fifth of the C on the bass. No, that's a G7. With a major seven. G sus. With a major seven. I don't know why, it just sounds good to me. Totally. Right? Totally cool. So, you know, it's sort of sort of a mixture. I would mix. I mean, I learned lines. It's a famous Joe Pass line, like yeah. from Satin Dollar. It's a line, a line, but this, yeah, so I take the phrase, and sometimes, uh, uh, whoops, yeah, so I take it, I t- try to take something and then try to do something different. 
or just or that's his, you know, or Bruce Warren. I, that's a line. I'm not sure who's that. Is. So I just try to take things and do variations on it, but like you know this. Target the notes. solo jazz you really are thank you, really inspiring thank you. Me. well it's weird playing it you know some of this stuff i don't usually yeah. play on my acoustic i'm usually on my heritage but this guitar sounds so beautiful that i'm i just i i just seem to be staying on it so i haven't switched guitars just so your listeners know now you got to tell us what it was like hanging out at paul gilbert's great guitar escape rock and roll camp <laughs> like i mean you must have been i mean there must have you must have encountered quite a number of rockers there well you know it was really a wonderful experience paul contacted me and um, he just said, you know, I really want to have a bona fide jazz player here because I really feel like these students need to be exposed to this. And he said, we'll do jams every night. And I said, well, what are we going to jam on? And and he so Paul picks up, he picks some Beatles stuff. He picks some stuff that I knew, old blues. Uh, we, I think even one night we did an old Kinks piece because uh, I said, man, you know, I'm not used to playing over these three chords anymore. I'm used to playing over 3,000 chords, but what yeah. am I going to do with three chords? I don't <laughs> want to sound like an idiot. And so he said, oh, yeah. maybe he said, don't worry, it'll be fun. So the, the words playing and hanging each night and that's where I met Andy and we were actually staying in the same kind of condo thing uh, place yeah. so we got a chance to hang out real late and get to know each other he's a marvelous human being yeah. but anyway Paul so is Paul but every person there all the faculty so it was all rock guys all the play, all the guitar players and the uh, bass and drums but they uh, they brought an intensity to uh, to my music when I played with them that I really dug. You know, it was just like uh, pedal to the metal and just really yeah. intensity. I did have to wear earplugs and I felt like mm-hmm. a little bit of a doofus. Oh, well, but a lot but, of I mean, it's loud. It's loud. It's loud. Paul himself. Yeah, yeah. yeah Paul, well, Paul's hearing yeah, yeah. Is, ain't what it used to be because of all this. But anyway, so it was, it was really a great experience and the students were so sweet. They were, you know, totally open to learning things. And so, um, so it was a great experience and all... Um, you know, I, and I've made, you know, and Paul and I have become friends and Andy and I are friends. In fact, Andy's going to be doing some recording with me and we've got some stuff going on and uh, Andy introduced me to the folks at Mesa Boogie. And so that's coming together and it's, you know, one hand sort of feeds the other, as you know, in this business, but um, I just, uh, I was just blown away at how great everybody was. Well, you know, it's funny you talk about like going back to learn how to play over three chords after playing, you know, I toured with uh, Jeff Berlin and Billy Sheehan and Stu Hamm. It was like a three-pronged bass player tour called B-Times 3. Mm. And I was a house guitar player. And What and, a switch, right? A little... And Jeff Berlin was so funny. He'd, be, he'd get up after like Stu or Billy Sheehan played and then he'd be like, I'm really digging this rock stuff. I've really been shedding on it. Check this out, guys. Like for the whole audience. And he'd be like... And then all of a sudden he'd be... Right. Oh, oh, damn it, I messed up. I got to shed some more. Sorry, guys. (laughs) Like he couldn't help but start swinging over it or something. Right, right. But um, yeah, the other thing that Paul said, Paul's been on this show, podcast, uh, No Guitar Safe, and he he just talked about like how he did a survey about that camp. Just his his manager's like, we got to do a survey, see what people like about it. Yeah, absolutely. 
And they were like, a lot of people got back to them and said, we really like having breakfast with Paul. Yeah. Like it was just so cool to just say like, they've seen the YouTubes, they've seen the right. clinics, and they, right. it's all great. Right. It's wonderful, Jeff. But just to be able to hang out with them, and mm-hmm. just kind of. Well, that's the nice thing about those camps is being everybody, yeah. the faculty and students are together having three meals a day, and and then you know you're you're doing workshops and then you're playing at night, and and so they really get they get a chance to really hang, and it's it's fun. It's a lot of fun. So I was listening to Spotify over here on the on the way over here, and there's so much great Mimi Fox on there, and I'm sure you're available everywhere else too iTunes. Right. Yeah, so I'm listening to the end of Spring Can Really Hang You Up the Most. And it's the most beautiful turnaround at the end. It kind of goes way down the neck and comes way back up. Maybe you can listen to that for a second. Yeah, so I'm doing, I think I'm doing. It sounds like I'm just doing thirds or sixths inverted, but I'm, I'm moving through different key areas just to create some tension and then I come back and resolve it out at the end. It sounds yes. like what I'm doing, yeah. What goes into being able to sort of spontaneously improvise these kind of, it's almost like dual harmony lines together. Yeah, well, again, I think... Um, you know, some of it is just what I hear, and from so many years of touring and doing solo shows, you know, Jude. After a while, um, you just you just hear things, and then I tr- I always try to play what I'm hearing and what I'm feeling because you know, in your own woodshedding, whatever you know, whatever you're practicing, whatever you're doing, that's all well and good, but the audience doesn't care about that and what's important is to be able to communicate with people and to touch them and ultimately I mean it sounds like a cliche but that's what it's all about and that's the only thing that I care about so you know I can be working on all kinds of fascinating harmony and stuff but you know the proof is in the pudding and when you go to the gig you 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 try to get out of your head and just play let the music just flow from one thing into the next but a lot of it is a question of like um like if I do um So I just hear that as the harmony. Yep. That's not what's written in my romance. What's written is no, yeah. but I go or and so I'm just hearing. You know, that's just what I'm hearing as an alternate harmony. So obviously, it's a lot of years of listening and being inspired, and I think, you know. I have been very fortunate to play with just so many incredible musicians and to have that experience and listening listening to them and and trying to you know make the music be as beautiful and full as as possible. So, you know, it's all sort of it's it's yeah. it's part of just what you do, uh, you know, in the course of your life as an artist is is just staying open and playing as much as you can and listening and being a sponge, like I said, being a human sponge and taking in as much as you can. So if I were to resume lessons with you, if I were to <laughs> God be help so you. lucky, and you're, <laughs> you're so busy, um, and I was like, I really want to learn chord melody. I mean, I know a million chords. I play a million tunes. I play solo guitar. You're talking about solo, solo guitar, just like, putting just it together. harmonizing melodies. Yeah. Just like, 
what path would you launch me on? Would, per well, se? I mean, part of it is being aware that wherever you are on the neck, uh, the whole harmonic universe exists. Well, let's, let's take a simple tune, like something like a. Beautiful. there's like a right so there's you it's it's really a question of 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 uh, you know at any part at any point when i'm soloing there's uh, a lot of things going on like i'm hearing yeah. the melody never actually played this solo so i went right played the melody and it's, you mean it's been a long time yeah so but no 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 what I mean is I've usually played you're not like yeah I've usually played with a group right so I just challenged myself now so that then you have to yeah, figure yeah. out where you're gonna play it so in this case love how your melodies are flowing sort of into chords and by there's no yeah, clear line between the chord and the melody exactly and sometimes i put the melody in late like in this point i mean the song actually goes but listen to where i put the melody when i do it solo so it's late it's a delayed thing so it gives me time So it gives me time to play the chordal harmony and put that in, and then I don't worry about it. I just take my time getting to the melody. I love it. That's kind of like that's kind of gangster. You're just like I'm a gangster kind of gal, I guess. <laughs> yeah, you're just gonna I'll finish the melody when I feel like finishing it. Exactly. And, you know, two beats later. Well, I mean, you know, <laughs> cool. the whole point of of when you're playing yeah. solo guitar is not to have it be this kind of thing. Otherwise, it can sound really corny. So yeah. I try to 
Right. You know, I tried to do different things with it. But in any event, what I'm saying is that at any point, like I'm... Bass playing, I'm feeling that. So there, at any point, I could play a bass line, or you know, I could play a single line. So I could play a single line, or I can do chords. So wherever you are when you're playing, it, you know, when you're asking me the question about solo guitar, you have to be prepared to put in any of those things based on where the music is going, and then you know yeah. how you're hearing it. So, so what kind of exercises would you prescribe to someone who wanted to? But Go in that direction. Like, someone at your you... level of, of, of playing, I would say just play. Just take tunes that you dig, listen to them, and try to feel out how you're going to flesh out the tune. Like sometimes, you know, right. like when I arrange Caravan uh, for solo guitar, you know, that's something that's usually played with a big group. I try to figure out how can I make it sound so I'm... playing this line yeah. it sounds really lame to play it by itself so there's with the, with the uh, tritone and then I and here I do like um, yeah. uh, 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 half um, ninths or major sevenths yeah the third and, in the bass yeah so that just yeah so I've got basically an F minor major seven that sounds cool so but even here See, I'm keeping the pedal, but yeah. my pedal point is the high B flat. Yeah. Why? Attitude. It's the flat seven. Yeah. Totally cool. Great part of this song. It's part of the melody, too, and it came exactly. from the other octave and then exactly. hopped up. Exactly. And then it, yeah. There you go. There you yeah. go. So it's a question of just, you know, you know, I'm a composer, too, and so you, you try to yeah. put everything you have into the mix and then come up with an arrangement that's, that's fresh. And right. that's what it's all about, right? Yeah. Maybe we should listen to one of the songs you have composed. Okay. Let's listen to the one that has two of you on it, okay. Against the Grain. Yeah, this is actually from my first... Um, I've come back to listening to this because this was recorded in 1985. It was my first album. And so uh, it's me, much younger, but I still think it's, it's kind of cool, kind of a cool piece. And it's an yeah. original of mine in five called, yeah, called Against the Grain. That's the that's the bass line, but then the head against it 
Yeah, the head against it is uh, is in four, but it works out because yeah. it's all 20 beats. Uh, anyway, so it's interesting. you got to tell me about this crazy guitar you're playing. It's okay, so, so beautiful. I've well, never seen a Taylor like just, this one. You know, I have an old guild that I love that I got when I was 14. Um, but this is the Taylor's, um, this is actually their, uh, you know, builder's edition. And um, what happened is, this is the K14CE. And I just love this guitar. I mean, obviously, it's gorgeous to look at with the abalone, and, and it, it's got spruce on top, which gives it a little kick, and then the back is koa. So it's got this beautiful, you know, I mean, it's just a gorgeous guitar. Oh, it looks like a masterpiece. And it's yeah, got that it interesting, really is. It's got this comfort cut underneath your... Yeah. Your, uh, your oh, the picking, bevel, picking the arm, bevel the bevel cut right there. I call yeah. those comfort cuts. Yeah, I, I, I agree <laughs> with that too. And it, it's just really, really nice. And then, of course, for me, my old guild is wonderful, but it doesn't have a cutaway. And yeah. it's also just, just kind of chewed up from years on the road and stuff. So yeah. it's really nice to have this beautiful new axe. And when I got ready yeah. to do my acoustic project, I thought, you know, I wanted to have a new thing. And then, as it turned out, uh, through friends, I... I uh, now that I'm actually an endorsing artist with Taylor, and so I, you know, they gave me this one, and then I, I also have a baritone that I used, a bar beautiful baritone acoustic on a few numbers, just because beautiful. it's just so so nice. So uh, anyway, so um, yeah, and the folks at Taylor are great. I like their philosophy. It's a good company, and I like what they do with their sustainable woods, and you know, they really try to, to do things right. So anyway, it's one so of the that's, great American companies, and you have this special cushion that raises. Yeah, those. <laughs> this this is a really nice cushion it's called a dinerette and it is just uh my my i had uh, the funk band that i played in when i met that i mentioned to you when i was between when i was like 17 and 20 i stood i stood all night long you know four sets a night six nights a week and so my shoulder is sh really shredded. So I do stand, you know, like when I'm playing, I've just played. You've got a funk it. injury. I have a funk injury. How about that? <laughs> uh, that's funny, Jude. I didn't think about that. But anyway, uh, this show, my, my shoulder shredded. It's so right this, underneath. You, basically, you think maybe under the strap or the weight of the guitar and the strap. Yeah, exactly. Just shoulder. Just really got me. So, And I tried different things. I tried having straps that went over both yeah. you know, shoulders like a backpack. The bottom line is that's because I use this yeah. so much, this little cushion, yeah. When I do uh, stand now, like when I'm playing a big yeah. festival and, and I would look like a little midget if I didn't, you know, stand, I um, uh, I can stand. I can, mm. you know, I can definitely yeah. do it now for one set or so, but I wouldn't do it every day, day in yeah. and day out or, or again. So this yeah. this raises the guitar, as you can see, to a yeah, nice it's, level. It sits on the thigh and goes underneath the curve of the guitar yeah. and fits in yeah. there perfectly. yeah. Yeah. yeah, and the guitar is really comfortable. It's like a neck cushion for the exactly. guitar. Exactly, exactly, <laughs> totally. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I've noticed my left shoulder, it's got this all this, like it feels weird. And I always wondered if my right is fine. I don't know if it's just because I'm right-handed or what, but I always wonder if it's from like de oh, decades of the guitar hanging on it. I've, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I mean, unless you do, you know, I also do a lot of stretching and yoga and that kind of stuff. You, you have yeah. to try to stay healthy because really we don't think about it, but what we're demanding of our body is no different than being an athlete. It's a different kind of thing. But, you know, your shoulders, your fingers, everything is taking a lot of, uh, you know, just taking a, quite a beating. And so it's really yeah. it's really good to balance it out. So I'm a big fan. Yoga, massage, stretching, all of that stuff I've, you know, 
uh, I think it's really important. So now, what are these things behind you on these shelves? Oh, those I mean, are. What are those ancient objects? <laughs> those are cassettes. I've got cassettes. <laughs> you might talking to the mic. Yeah, sure. Those are those are ancient uh, cassettes. Uh, Cassette tapes. That cassette? Those are, I've heard of those. Yeah, you've heard of those, right? They were they existed yeah. at some point. Yeah, I've got I got old West Montgomery things. I got bootleg things, different recordings. I got recordings of myself at like the Village Gate in New York, the first big gig I did there. And uh, so I've got I've got one of my first uh, recordings also on cassette. So yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> now, what made you want to pick up the guitar in the first place when you were? When well, I was ten, started on drums. I started. Yeah. Or, uh, well, I, I had a little snare drum when I was nine, um, and then I started guitar when I was ten. Actually. When I was a kid, I really liked the monkeys, and I thought Mike Nesmith was just really rad. And so, uh, I always something starts. Yeah, something starts you off. But then my brother and sister, older brother and sister, were listening to the Beatles, and they were like, "Well, you know, monkeys. I don't know. You might want to listen to this." And so, my Mm. older cousin, I was ten, and my cousin Steve was twenty, and he um, he showed me my first chords. He showed me a few things, but then he came back. uh, He I remember he was in the Navy, and he came back a few months later. And I had taught myself the entire Beatles Rubber Soul album, all the parts, the bass part, the everything. And so he came came back and he's like, he goes to my mom, he goes, Aunt Annie, there's something really weird about Mimi. There's something really weird. I don't know what she's been in. And my mom said, well, all she does is she comes home from school and she goes down into the den with a, you know, we had a little phonograph yeah. player and I and I had, you know, and was playing that Rubber Soul album until my brother and sister were like, Mom, we could get Mimi some more, some other albums, you know, we're going crazy. Um, but, um, so I just, I just fell in love with the instrument. And literally, I'd come home, I'd do my homework, have a bowl of Cheerios, and then, that was it. It's me and my guitar. What are some of your favorite hours. songs to play from Rubber Soul? Everyone. There's not a there's not a bad one. The Beatles didn't write a bad song. No, that's for sure. Every single song. Probably I remember I was so I was ten and I remember when I learned this part. You know the part to yeah. Michelle. I yeah. loved that. But now you know that I've taken. That underrated. It's got so. It's, it's a gorgeous song. Uh, a diminished chord in action. Yeah, it means you. Wow, you you were playing like that when you were ten. Wow. Maybe not. Maybe <laughs> not. But you know, I lo- I just loved. Oh, the other song that I that I play now that is from that album is um. Seeing you in these guitar keys. So I do that also. So, That's so it's still, yeah, it's it's one of the I, I it's one of my um, you know, favorites. I love the ballads of theirs. Any uh, more of that song? Or yeah, I mean, I have the whole thing. Uh, I also did. Um, I mean, I love. I also uh, love uh, She's Leaving Home, which I've recorded, yeah. and I, I, I think that I sent that to you. Yeah, I mean, I love that, too, so maybe you can play a little yeah, for let's folks. A little bit of that. Okay. Thank you. 
No, you know, I just... You know, I just try to... Again, I'm using a lot of open strings. I love that. I love that piece, and that's something yeah. you know. Uh, you know, again, I think just taking you know taking full advantage of harmonics, open strings. Uh, the guitar is truly you know just I don't know. I mean, I've been playing it now for 50 years, and it's still I love it. Do you have a new acoustic project that I need to tell us about? Your new what's yeah, coming yeah, up? What is yeah. this? So my my new project, my all acoustic project, is coming out at the end of February of 2019, oh, and man. um and as part of what led to this Taylor relationship and everything coming sort of coming together for me. But um, what I was going to say is that um, yeah, so it's coming out at the end of February um, next year, and uh, it's got some solo stuff, some group stuff, some surprises, which I'm not going to say because it, hopefully it'll be a nice surprise for everybody, some duets with some wonderful artists, uh, but it's all acoustic. And so it's doing some of my originals, uh, some arrangements. I have a, you know, a beautiful arrangement that I've done of uh, Paul McCartney's Blackbird. As you know, I'm a big Beatle fan, and so I've got that, and I've got some originals. And I know a whole bunch of really cool things that I'm excited about. And I, I play, uh, I play the this my new baby, and also play a, a Taylor baritone acoustic on a few numbers. So, uh, you know, just really a lot of different uh, different textures and a lot of different awesome. moods. And and uh, I've always played. You know, for me, I started out playing acoustic guitar, and it's still. Um, yeah, it's a big part of my, I think, of my expressiveness as an artist, not just from playing classical gu guitar, but the early artists that I enjoyed, Joni Mitchell, James Taylor, Crosby, Stills, and Nash. Um, you know, so I, mm -hmm. I learned a lot from listening to those folks, and that, uh, you know, I've always felt like that is is a part of my playing that doesn't come out when I'm playing my jazz box. That's a whole different side of what I do. It's like I've got sort of a schizophrenic musical personality. One is like a Wes Montgomery and Pat Martino influence, straight up jazz, straight ahead jazz guitar. But then the other is more uh, more acoustic, which encompasses a lot of different things. So. Do you ever bend strings? You know, some funny <laughs> people ask me that, and a lot of folks ask me that at the at the Great Guitar Escape with at, at Paul's camp. Well, it's, it's always interesting. You, know, you got a guy like Mike Stern; he bends strings, but I don't think he ever hammers on. Yeah, I think. Maybe uh, once. I guess. What do I do? I hammer. I hammer and I slur. I think. Uh, yeah. Gosh. Yeah, so I don't... You're just dancing up those strings. Yeah, I think I, I don't tend to bend. I think when I play... The reason I went is some of these blues lines... I don't think... A little, little bit of bend, yeah. Yeah, but I'm not going to... You know, when you've got 12s, yeah. you're not really going to bend. 
you know, you, you're not going to bend into the next node and make a, you know, you, it's not part of my uh, arsenal, as it were, because uh, it's just not something that I, you know, I think I work on octaves, work on other types of bluesy kind of expressiveness. Yeah. But there's a lot of folks that bend and they do it great. Mazel tough, they do it. And I'm glad they do it because they do it great. And so, yeah, I guess it's not really a thing that I do. Did you play footprints on a 12 string i did yeah that was uh, <laughs> yeah i have an old uh old takamini that uh that i played uh and it just you know was a nice it was a live recording with a good engineer and and we got a got an interesting arrangement of that yeah energy in that track's really cool yeah did you listen to it yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. it's it's a different kind of thing um uh and uh you know again a lot of fun and all blues too another one all blues i did i'm sort of rearranged it almost like a delta thing yeah. until i get into that because of people think of it as you know or but what i do is And then, you know, when I go into the... Yeah, yeah so, uh, but by having this, this kind of delta blues kind of thing, people think, oh, it's kind of going in somewhere else. And then I'm, and then instead of going to the four chord, I go to the tritone. Yeah, keep the melody the same. Right. And then I come, of course, the familiar sharp nines. And again, the the... That's the original line, but I make it a little more funky. So there's a, some Great. of the stuff that I do on that. Now, did you play with Stevie Wonder too? Which I have to ask I because had, he's my hero. Yeah, Stevie. <laughs> Yeah, what actually happened is this is a very funny story. Um, my manager at the time, Ed, called me, and I was on the road, but he said, Mimi, I've got a really interesting gig. And he said, if he goes, now, it's an opening act. I said, Ed, you know, we talked about this. I don't want to do opening acts because, you know, it just doesn't work. Because he had gotten me some things. It was some pretty big things, but it was a bad fit. And it just did, I didn't why like do, it. Why does it not work sometimes to open? Uh, it's just, it's not my personality. I kind of want to do my own thing. Um, I don't know. Right. It just, and, and it, you know, unless it's the right fit, it, it just can, you know, you're, you're just... I don't know. I just was uncomfortable with it. But he said, Mimi, he said, wait a minute, let me finish. Let me tell you what, what this is. And so he'd gotten this call from some agency in L.A. And he said, um, I said, well, who is it opening for? And he said, Stevie Wonder. And I said, fuck, Stevie Wonder? I said, yeah. And he said, and it's really good dough. And he said, they want your trio. They want a jazz trio. And he said, you'll play first and Stevie's going on. And I said, well, I, and, and he said, you know, they heard, because I had, um, at that time, I think I had, uh, 
I had done Isn't She Lovely? I had a jazz arra- fun jazz arrangement of that that I'd done. They said, well, you can play that if you want or not. They said they don't care, but they just want you to do it. And it was really good, though. So it was a private event at the Santa Clara Convention Center for, uh, as a matter of fact, it's on, you see the second guitar in from there? See yeah. where it says All Access, A Wonderful yeah. Night? Yeah. Sibel. So it was for that big tech company. Yeah. And that's the night. And so, uh, so wonder dash full. Yeah, wonder wonder dash full. So uh, we did that. Uh, and my trio opened, and then I met Stevie. He, he came on, and uh, so anyway, that's the Stevie. That's the Stevie yeah. uh, story. We should play a little bit something. I'm yeah, stretch a little. Okay, Green Dolphin should, or something. Yeah, let me let me switch guitars. I think oh, I'm gonna okay, cool. I'm gonna switch the, the electric. Although you know, I'm not so. You got this. Yeah. Yeah, let me switch if we're going to yeah. do that. If you, did you say whatever. you want to play Green Dolphin Street? Yeah, what, anything. Whatever you want to do. If you want to stay on that guitar, it's fine. No, no, too. no, it's fine. Let me... I'm going to move over here. Yeah. This is really fun, Jude. Oh, yeah. Me sort too. of... I'm, I'm uh, coming out ahead on this one. <laughs> no, no, no. You're putting me on the spot for something to remember and actually yeah. think about shit. Right. Anyway. Okay, so let's check this out. This is the reharmonization of this yeah. instead of going... Uh, yeah, I hear, I hear the melody in there somewhere. <laughs> nah. yeah, well, it's all chromatic, and then. Are, are you in C or are you in E flat? Is that where you do you play? No, I'm it playing C? with you. Okay. I guess I'm whatever. Okay. Yeah. yeah sure. You ready? Sure. Let's move right on it. Up about one, two, three. Thank you. 
for that. Going back to the head? Instead of going back to the head. Yeah, well, okay. But, well, you know, because I want to keep you here all day. Yeah, no, but it's fun. It's a lot of fun. Beautiful playing on that. And then, now tell me about Pack of Lies. What is this tune? Uh, it was a you long You sent it to me, so I want to know yeah. about it. Some of the different things that we are all told in our lives that aren't necessarily true. And so I tried to make this kind of thing of like, really, you think that's true? So the way that it with that, the first part's like drums and guitar. Sort of people to, sort of fighting with each other. Really then? 
So it's, it's supposed to be like this really kind of scratchy, kind of gnarly kind of thing. And then the head. I don't know. It just sort of came to me. It's just a lot of energy and a lot of intensity. And I guess it's my response, my musical response, to having been told a lot of lies in my life in various ways, different times, different situations, and then trying to find a way to make something positive from it. So it's a little scratchy and a little edgy. Um, I've got another tune in the sort of vein, uh, similar vein called East Coast Attitude that I recorded. Um, it's actually the opening cut to my first recording that I did uh, with Favored Nations. Uh, and it's also East Coast Attitude. It's just kind of edgy and kind of, you know, because I, I write a lot yeah. of beautiful ballads. I love beautiful ballads, but, uh, you know, that's not all there is in life. And, you know, as artists, you try to sort of funnel everything as a composer and as an artist. So that's that's kind of where that's coming from. Now, I mean, some people who write instrumental music, they're like, there's no story behind it or anything. It's just a melody. It's music, which is mm -hmm. equally valid. But do you often take a, like, you're trying to express an actual yeah, thing or emotion, actually, like something uh, in, me, in your life like yeah, that? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, to me, uh, even when I'm, you know, over the years when I've been working on complicated different musical things, sometimes some of that will come out in my compositions, but it won't come out. I'm not a fan of writing from a cerebral place. Uh, I'm a fan of taking, you know, people we love, experiences we have, things that have moved us in any way, for good, bad, or indifferent, and then trying to find a way to make something, you know, eloquent out of that. And that's why sometimes it'll be beautiful, and sometimes it might be edgy, sometimes it might be exciting and real passionate, and that's all part of the experiences. You know, I mean, that's part of being an artist, is having the capacity to try to take the audience, to take your fellow musicians and the audience on a journey with you. It's like, you know, what are you communicating? What are you saying? Because because music is ultimately about communication, and you don't want people to be leaving the concert like scratching their head. It's like, well, well really, what was that about? You want you so you really want to make a make a meaningful and eloquent statement, defined to a degree. Yeah, exactly. Actually, yeah. Funny, you know, like when I do instrumentals too, often for a working title, I'll say, "What does that phrase remind me of?" And like, what word? And then I'll remember, yeah. like I have a song called Salamander. It goes. <laughs> Like this little lick, right? Just the first four notes sound like salamander to me. Or something, you know right. what I'm saying? Yes, I do. Like yeah. so. Anyway, so like I'll often do that. Just like actually, what is that melody? What, is that, what English phrase does that? Or any? Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> but a lot. Of, yeah, and a lot of times for me, I'll have an experience or the yeah. place I've been or people that I've met that have touched mm -hmm. me, and then I try to, I take that experience and try to write something from that place. But it's it's you know. That's how I experience the world. I mean, I'm an, obviously yeah. I'm an auditory person. <laughs> Anybody that sees my wardrobe knows that for sure. But I mean, <laughs> I just, I don't think of, um, you know, I experience yeah. life through my ears. That is how I experience it. You've also just, I mean, played all over the world indoors outdoors clubs theater where, where, where's your like favorite place to play you know, it, like you know that's a great question and a lot of it depends on the audience at a given time i mean um when i toured with la guitar that was one of the more, more schizophrenic tours i've ever done in that uh, this was a project that patty larkin put together for vanguard records and so it was me and patty and khaki king and and muriel anderson and four of us were such crazy you know we're just all very distinct and distinctive personalities uh, mu musically and personally but anyway you the 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 agent that booked this uh was very creative and he so we like for instance when we were in boston uh we played at the regatta bar big jazz club they're one of the two good ones that's and scholars so we played at a big jazz club when we were in 
uh, Ann Arbor. We played at the Ark, which is kind of like the Freight and Salvage in Berkeley. Beautiful old, you know, folk room, three or four hundred people. We played performing arts centers in the Midwest. We played the Great American Music Hall in San Francisco. So we played a variety of different rooms because we had so many genres between the four artists and so the agent just sort of pulled from all the contacts that he had and people were like but one of my favorite places that we played was the world cafe in philadelphia and that night that we were there um philly uh you know in general for me i prefer urban exciting urban audiences where they're obviously the the audience is more diverse they seem to really appreciate me and dig what I'm doing, and that type of audience really feeds me. When I got people in the audience and I'm playing a blues, and and I can hear people going, mm-hmm, you talk yeah. about a girlfriend, testify, that kind of stuff's happening, that just spurs me on and makes me crazy. But that being said, I remember the first time that I went to Japan, and the audience is, you know, it's a very different culture there. And so the, the, the applause was loud, but very sort yeah. of very polite. But then after the show, people would come up to me, and, you know, you're bowing, and there's like, yeah. oh, Mimi-san, oh, what a beautiful concert. And, you know, I sold a million CDs, and I realized they really loved the music. They oh, had yeah. a different way of expressing it. Incredible. So every crowd, you know, every place that you play uh, is going to be different. And every city, you know, performing arts centers are great because uh, whether I'm doing solo or playing with a group, I can hear everything really well. Uh, if I'm doing a solo show at a, at a large theater or a performing arts center, I don't even use an amp. I just use a DI box right into them and, mo- and use a monitor as my speaker and right into the house sound and it's gorgeous. And that's, yeah. that's all I need. Um, and, but those audiences are a little different. Um, you know, generally it's, it's a different vibe. So, so I try to, you know, wherever I play, um, uh, I, tr- I really want the audience to have a good experience because they can buy my CDs, they can listen to stuff all they want online. But, you know, when, when people come out to a concert, they really want to be moved. And I'm without, you know, any artifice. I mean, I'm, I'm you know, you know this, Jude, but, you know, who I am is, you know, what you see is what you get. I'm very, very much who I am. I can't be anything else. And so I try to be who I am, but also really, you know, give a crowd something. Like I, I did a show with uh, Andy Timmons out in, De- in um, McKinney, Texas recently. And, uh, you know, it was a different audience. And, uh, was Andy, that at the Guitar Sanctuary? At the Guitar Sanctuary, oh, cool, yeah. Cool spot. Really cool spot. And uh, I, um, Andy played a set, and then I played a set, and then we played some stuff together. Um, but I really wanted to bring the audience in. When I have audiences that I, I know are not particularly jazz crowds, but they may be guitar fans, I, I'm not going to start off with some esoteric, weird-ass piece. I'm going to start off with a blues or something that's really, or maybe a Beatles piece that I've rearranged. But I, I like to give people a chance to join me. I mean, some jazz artists think that I'm somehow, is that a capitulation? I don't feel like it is. I feel like it's just a question of wanting to touch people. And I'm, I never play anything, you know, you're not going to find me doing some you know bullshit i mean i always play music that touches me and that i care about but i also want the audience to be able to join me and and come with me once i've once i've got them listening to me and they're digging it then i can pull out more then i can get as out as i want and suddenly i'm playing this abstract version of alone together out of you know in my life but the audience will be with you but you kind of give people a crumb i mean give them a chance and so that's sort of that's sort of my theory with it it's not yeah. It's not any kind of rocket science. I'm, I'm always just who I am, uh, and uh, and try to do that. But yeah, every audience is different. Every situation is different. Um, as part of my job as a as an artist to maintain my artistic and musical integrity, but also uh, be hip to the you know to the milieu that I'm in. 
Good word. Yeah. Milieu. That was not hip to the milieu. That's, a, that's an interesting <laughs> juxtaposition. It's part beatnik, part uh, scholar. Perpetually hip to the milieu, <laughs> which is your great double record. That half solo, right? Half. half solo and half of the group. Yeah, Steve, Steve Vai, that was my second project for Favorite Nations. Uh, perpetually hip, by the way, not self-aggrandizing. I wrote it for a friend of mine who's an older woman, sort of a surrogate mom for, for me, and had been, um, she's a sort of jazz ambassador that has been in the industry for a long time. Yeah. Um, and so I wrote it for her because we were out for lunch, and, and she kept using all these very cool expressions, and I said to her, you know, you're hip, you're just perpetually hip. And I, we both looked at each other and she said you ought to write a song with that title <laughs> i said great. i will but anyway steve he steve mm. greenlighted the perpetually hip double cd because i when i was getting ready to do my next project she said well what are you thinking about and i said well you know steve i know some people frown on this you know because it seems like you know it's an awful lot of music but i've been working so much on my solo stuff and i've also got all this new pieces that i've written from all my touring uh, i have this piece i wrote called while bangkok sleeps perpetually hip saluting the groove all, a whole bunch of originals and I said, I would really like to do a double album and do both. He said, you got it. If that's, that's awesome. what you're feeling. Yeah, Steve was great. I mean, because he was basically about, this label is about artistic freedom. It's about you doing what you want to do. And um, no, I mean, Steve was amazing. Now, you know, another Steve, another guitar player that Steve is a fan of lives pretty close to here. Are you? Do you know Lauren Lieber? Uh, I don't know Lauren Lieber. I know Pepino. I got to hook you guys up. I know Pepino D'Agostino. He's like a stone's throw. Well... He's dry, uh, you know. Yeah. A few blocks away, somewhere. Yeah, yeah. I forget. Well, you where know Pepino, right? Pepino D'Agostino. I don't know him personally. Yeah, yeah. Pepino monster. lives out here in Pe in uh, in uh, Benicia. You guys so, could start the most monstrous trio, the three of you. I'm telling you, <laughs> you guys could tear down the walls. Oh, well, I don't know about that, but you know. Anyway. Well, cool. Thanks for uh, having me over yeah, to you, your house. Yeah, thank you. Are so, we still on? Or are we done? We're no. You're you're not done yet. I'm not done yet. You got to take it out on something. <laughs> oh, no, that's true. Okay. Um, well, do you want to try that blues of mine? Yeah, the one, one we were showing me earlier. Yeah. You go. Oh, back to the acoustic. Yeah. yeah I think I'll cool. go back to my Great. Acoustic. Thanks for doing all the. Oh, it's heck work. Yeah, I'll, it's I'll move that when you. Not hardly nothing. Ain't no thing but a chicken wing. Yeah, it's in tune enough for rock and roll. Okay. Yeah, you've been playing that. I can see the the wear on the on the tuners. Yeah. You've been right. playing that guitar. What part of New York did you grow up in? Queens. Ah, cool. I just, you know, I used to play this song with funk bands called Jamaica Funk. And I was always wondering, like, why are they, why, why is this called Funkin' for Jamaica? Is what it was called. Funkin' for Jamaica? Because, you know, I don't think of Jamaica as the, like, funk capital of the world. But then I found out there was a neighborhood in Queens called Jamaica. Yeah, and it right. all came together. As you got, you got to check it out, man. Queens, baby. So this is a tune. It's called Getaway Blues.
Keep it alive to your 95. That was fun. Awesome. Mm. The time is safe.